Hi guys, welcome back to Cereal Sunday. Don't mind my hair, it's a little wild today. Um, it has been a long weekend, let me tell you. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> we got my mom all moved and everything, but it was a long, exhausting weekend. So, excuse my appearance if I look a little crazy. <laughs> um... I hope you can hear me okay. I have a little bit of a different setup tonight, but um yeah, it's been a long, a long weekend. Um, but I didn't want to cancel Zero Sunday or postpone it or anything like that. I wanted to still do it. So I'm here. What can I say? My stomach is making weird noises. Let me see if I can No burn one. So it's better. There we go. That's what we're talking about. Okay. So this week's episode is going to be on Dorothy. I'm not sure if it's Dorothy or Dorothea, but I'm going to say Dorothy because I'm not 100% sure I pronounce it. But I'm going to say Dorothy because it's easier. Um, so it's Dorothy Puente. Puente? Puente? I'm not really sure I pronounced her last name either. I really should have looked up the pronunciation of her name before I did this, but I didn't. Um, but um, she was another recommendation. And let me tell you, she was not, like, if I look at pictures of her, she was not someone that I would expect to be a serial killer. She looks like you're, like, just like somebody's grandma. Like, that's just what she looks like. She doesn't look like... She doesn't look like a serial killer, if that makes sense. Um, but she was, and she was a nasty one, that's for sure. Um, I move my mic. Um, so, we'll just get right into it. Um, so she was born Dorothy Helen Gray on January 9th, 1929 in Redlands, San Bernardo County, California. Her parents were Trudy May and Jesse Gray. Her father was a cotton picker. And both of her parents abused her throughout her childhood. She had a very rough childhood. Um, they often didn't feed her, so she had to, like, scavenge for food and stuff. Like I said, she had a traumatic upbringing. Um, both of her parents were alcoholics, and her father often threatened to kill himself in front of the children. And her father died in 1937 of tuberculosis when she was eight, some reports say it was earlier when she was only four, but because I saw several different, I saw, I saw both several different times. Like I saw four a couple times. I saw eight a couple times. So I was like, she was either four or eight, one of the two. That's quite a big difference in age, but it was one of the two. Um, so then less than a year later, her mother lost custody of the kids. And then by the end of 1938, her mother died too. She passed away in a motorcycle accident. So Dorothy and her siblings were sent to an orphanage. And Dorothy, while being in the orphanage, was reportedly sexually abused. And then they were sent to Fresno, California to live with some relatives. She was married for the first time at the age of 16. Um, they were married in 1945 to a man named Fred McFall. He was a soldier who had just returned from the Pacific Theater of World War One. 
And the marriage was short. Fred passed away due, due to a heart attack. And she didn't have any money of her own. So when she was like 19, she was arrested for using forged checks. She was forging checks to purchase things. So she was arrested for forgery. And that was in Riverside, California. She was charged with two counts of forgery and she pled guilty. She was given a year in jail but only served six months of that sentence. And then she got... Um, after she was released... Sorry, I lost my train of thought. After she was released, um, she got pregnant by a man that she barely knew. And she ended up giving birth to a baby girl. And she put that baby girl up for adoption. And six months after her release, she left Riverside. Um, in 1952, at the age of 23, she married for the second time. She married a merchant seaman named Axel Johansson in San Francisco. Their marriage was also very a very turbulent marriage. It was violent. They were both violent towards each other. But Dorothy would take advantage of the fact that Johansson was gone frequently and she would invite other men over to the house and she would gamble away all his money too. She was arrested again in 1960 at the age of 31 for owning and operating a brothel in Sacramento. She fronted it as a bookkeeping firm but it was not. She was found guilty and sentenced to 90 days in Sacramento, Sacramento County Jail. In 1961, Johansson had her committed to DeWitt State Hospital after a binge of lying, drinking, criminal behavior, and a couple of suicide attempts. Doctors concluded that she was a pathological liar and she also had an unstable personality. The couple divorced in 1966, but she continued to use his last name for quite some time. She began calling herself Sharon Johansson, and she fronted herself as a kind Christian woman. She established her reputation as a caregiver who provided care to young women with a sanctuary from poverty and abuse. On to the third one. In 1968, at the age of 39, she married again, this time to a man named Roberto Puente, who was actually 19 years younger than her. Um, they were married for only 16 years or 16 months, only 16 years. They were only married for 16 months before separating and Dorothy claimed that he was abusive and in 1967 she tried to serve him with a restraining order or no, she tried to serve him with divorce papers. She did, re she did serve him with a restraining order too, but wrong time. He actually ended up um, fleeing to Mexico and the divorce wasn't finalized until 1973. Um, the couple actually continued their turbulent relationship for a few years, but in 1975, that's when she filed the restraining order against him. But she would continue to go on as Dorothy Puente for over 20 years. So she was trying to focus on running her boarding house for like poor people and other stuff like that. Um, so she was trying to focus on running her boarding house and her boarding house was at 21st and F streets in Sacramento. She claimed that she was a genuine resource to help aid the community with alcoholics, homeless people, mentally ill people, disabled people, etc. She would hold AA meetings and assist individuals in signing up for social security benefits. And she also established herself as a respected mother in the Sacramento Hispanic community she would help fund charities, scholarships, radio programs, all that stuff. 
She had a brief marriage again that only lasted a week. And then in 1978, she was charged and convicted of illegally cashing 34 state and federal checks that belonged to the tenants in her boarding house. And she was given five years probation and ordered to pay $4,000 in restitution. So California Court of Appeals records show that she began renting an apartment at 1426 F Street in downtown Sacramento. And in 1982, Dorothy is 53 years old at this point, um, a 61-year-old woman named Ruth Monroe began renting the, uh, the apartment from Dorothy. And she didn't live there long. She actually ended up dying of an overdose of codeine and acetaminophen. And Dorothy told the police that the woman was really depressed because her husband was terminally ill and the police just believed her. They took her word for it and they ruled the death a suicide. So a few weeks later, the police returned to the house because a 74-year-old man named Malcolm McKenzie accused Dorothy of drugging him and stealing from him. And on August 18th of 1992, she was convicted on three charges of theft and sentenced to five years in jail. So while she's in jail, she starts corresponding with a 77-year-old um, retired man from Oregon, and his name was Everson Gilmuth. So they developed a, like, pen pal-type relationship. They sent letters back and forth. And when she was released in 1985, he actually met her outside the jail and picked her up in a red 1980 Ford pickup truck. You'll understand why that's important. <laughs> Um, the couple soon began making wedding plans and they actually had made a joint bank account and um, out of that bank account, they paid $600 a month in rent for that apartment at 1426 F Street or whatever. So in November of 1985, Dorothy hired a man named Ismail Flores. I may have just butchered that, but I tried to install wood paneling in her apartment. She paid him $800 and she also gave him a 1980 red Ford pickup truck. She told him that it belonged to her boyfriend who lived in Los Angeles and he no longer needed it. So he gave it to her and now she's giving it to this guy. Then she also asked this man to build her a six foot by three foot by two foot box. And she told him that she was going to store books and other items in it. So then once it was filled, nailed shut, she nailed it shut. Um, he, she asked Flores to take it to a storage depot. And he agreed and she went with him. But instead, they stopped on Garden Highway in Sutter County and um, dumped the box on a riverbank at like a dumping site there. And Flores questioned her. He was like, what are we doing with this? What is in there? And she was like, it's just junk and stuff. Nah. So in January of 1986, a fisherman found the box and informed he called the police. And police found the body of a badly decomposed, unidentifiable elderly man in the box. And Dorothy actually continued to collect Everson's pension money and she wrote letters to his family telling them that he was extremely ill and that's why he hadn't been contacting them. So she also continued to run her boarding house. She took in like 40 new tenants and um, Everson's body that was in that box was not identified for like three years. So Dorothy continued to accept elderly people in as tenants 
and she was popular with the local social workers because she would take the like tough cases. She would take in drug addicts, um, abusive tenants, alcoholics, like all that kind of stuff. And she collected her tenants monthly mail before they saw it and she would give them like an allowance and then she would take the rest of the money for expenses. And parole actually like several of the tenants like parole officers visited her several times during this period. She was told to keep away from the elderly and not to handle government checks of any kind but no violations were ever noted against her. And she actually had a tenant that lived there like part-time. He was a homeless alcoholic and he was known as Chief. That's the only name he was known as. And neighbors began noticing really weird behavior from him. Dorothy had kind of like adopted him as like her handyman. And so Dorothy had him like digging in the basement and he was hauling like soil and debris and other stuff out of the basement in a wheelbarrow. But the basement floors, when, like, they went to go look, the basement floors were, like, it was a concrete slab. So, like, where did the dirt come from? Anyway, she had him completely dismantle the garage as well and then lay a fresh slab of concrete down. And then after that, he completely disappeared. So, on November 11th, 1988, police were investigating the disappearance of one of Dorothy's tenants named Alberto Montoya. He was a developmentally disabled man with schizophrenia and his um, social worker had actually reported him missing. So the police, the police, (laughs) the police noticed disturbed soil on the property and they uncovered the body of a different tenant that they weren't even looking for. Her name was Leona Carpenter and she was 78. So they actually found a total of seven bodies on her property and So Dorothy was arrested and charged with a total of nine murders and the murders that they charged her with were Everson Gilmuth. He was 77. That was the boyfriend. Ruth Monroe. She was 61. Leona Carpenter, who was 78. Alberto Montoya, who was 51. Dorothy Miller. She was 64. Benjamin Fink, 55. James Gallup, 62. Vera Martin, 64. And Betty Palmer, who was 78. So, during the, like, initial investigation of this, like, Dorothy wasn't a suspect. She was allowed to leave the property and all this stuff. And one day she was allowed to leave the property to go get a cup of coffee. And instead she did buy the coffee, but then she fled to Los Angeles. And while there, she um, became friends with an elderly prisoner that she met at a bar. But he actually recognized her from police reports and stuff and called the authorities. So her trial was moved to Monterey County, California, and the trial began in 1992. The prosecutor called over 130 witnesses and argued that Dorothy had used sleeping pills to put her tenants to sleep, then suffocated them, and then hired convicts to dig the holes in her yard to put the bodies. So the jury deliberated for a month and eventually found her guilty of only three of the murders. Um, The jury was deadlocked 11 to 1 for the conviction on all counts. And the defense called several witnesses that showed Dorothy. I'm not sure what just happened. Um, Her long lost daughter that she put up for adoption way back when. And then mental health experts also were there to testify against her character. 
And they all admitted that she had an evil side brought out by her down and out tenants. So Dorothy was convicted of three counts of murder. The jury could not agree on the other six. At this point, they were deadlocked seven to five and the judge just declared a mistrial. Uh, when the jury said that the jury said that they wouldn't change their minds with further deliberation. So the judge just declared a mistrial. And Dorothy received life in prison without the possibility of parole. She was incarcerated at the Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California. I probably did not pronounce that right, but I tried. <laughs> um, she literally maintained her innocence the entire time she was in prison. She insisted that her tenants died of natural causes. But why were they buried in your yard? Like, if they died of natural causes, why did you not report it? Why were they buried in your yard? That makes no sense. But, nice try, lady. So, on March 27th, 2011, at the age of 82, Dorothy died of natural causes. So, yeah. Um, that was Dorothy Puente. I hope I pronounced that right. I might have butchered it, but it's fine. Um, but, yeah, she was a fun one to look up. Um, I did find several different articles that kind of said different things. Um, but I just tried to go with what I found um but I will post pictures and stuff of her on my Instagram page for Serial Sunday if you're not following that go follow it um because like I said she does not look some of the pictures don't get me wrong some of the pictures she looks a little creepy but some of the pictures that I found of her she really doesn't look like she just looks like a grandma like she just looks like a sweet old lady psych those are the ones you gotta watch out for the ones that look all sweet Gotta look out for those ones. But anyway, I am going to go relax and have a chill rest of the night because I got to go to work tomorrow and I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> um, but thanks everybody for joining me and watching and I'll see you next Sunday for the next episode. Bye.